You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Episode 1, elephants. I got to pick. I'm sorry. I think that's a great pick. Next week, or next episode is yours, right? Rhinos, those are your babies. But elephants are my babies, and I think I, in the, the first episode that I recorded... What can they teach us? They also, they also are very emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. There's been documentation, both in captivity and the wild, of elephants experiencing joy, anger, of course play, but then also grief. Yeah. yeah. So that's... Uh, that's uh, Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. So welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. Yeah, so Angie, this is our first one together. I'm super excited. I know, this is awesome. It's, you know, we've been planning this for a long time and I'm so just energized to get this going. You know that. I've been... Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun and a lot of good buildup and really interesting research. Right, right. I've learned a lot, and I hope to share that with everyone. Right, right. And I think um, the history of Angie and I, the reason I'm doing this is because of Angie. Aww. You know, when Angie showed up years ago. Shucks, you're yeah. too sweet. <laughs> That's true, though. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have switched from domestic species to really focusing on these endangered species. Yes. Moving, so, in, moving into the um, from the dark side to the yeah come to the light yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we uh, you know we're both excited to to be bringing this podcast to everyone and so episode one elephants I got to pick I'm sorry I think that's a great pick yeah. next week or next episode is yours right rhinos those sure. are your babies but elephants are my babies and I think I in the the first episode that I recorded. You know, I talked about how elephants were, you know, I just love them. I just love elephants. I don't know. It's because I'm tall. I'm 6'5". <laughs> I'm a tall guy. You know, the gentle giant. How can you not love elephants? I, know, I, I know. mean. They're so amazing. They're just, they're awesome. And so we need to fight for them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, enough with the pleasantries, but we want to jump right into the show and, and talk about the species, this amazing species. And, you know, we, we've kind of laid out how we want to bring the show to you and, and talk about, I think the first thing we would love to talk about is their history. And I don't want to scare you off, Angie. Uh-oh. <laughs> but... I'm going to talk about mitochondrial DNA. 
I think I might have fallen asleep already. Yeah, I think. Uh, just no, kidding. no, no. Just uh, bear with me, please, please. But why mitochondrial DNA of all things? And, and I think it, it would be good to kind of lay this out because we'll refer back to stuff like this throughout, I think, the, this series or sure. as long as we're podcasting because that's how we're evaluating the evolution of species. Sure. Well, I think this has something to do with the DNA you inherited from your mom. Right. right. So... Okay. I, I, you haven't lost me quite yet. Okay, so you, you you weren't completely asleep in genetics. No, no. Yeah. And Angie is uh, almost done with her PhD. Like, she's just there at the end. And so she will be Dr. Adkin here pretty quick. So mitochondrial DNA, Angie. It, 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 it's amazing because, you know, you know everything. You, you know physiology. But physiology, you know, we're made up of cells. Mm-hmm. You have a group of cells that come together. Some of them form, form organs, blah, 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 throughout the body. We don't need to get that much into it. But cellular biology, within a cell, you have your chromosomal DNA, which is all your inherited stuff that makes us who we are, makes me 6'5", brown hair, brown eyes, all that stuff. And then you have this mitochondrial DNA that's outside the nucleus and this mitochondria. Right, it's in the mitochondria. Right. right? So those are parts of the cell. So it's a really weird... It's different. It's very different. And it's, it's very unique. So in each cell of all of us, we have this mitochondrial DNA that we get from mom. Dad gives us none. Yes. Okay. Mom so, power. Yes. Right. Just try to follow <laughs> me. So what's unique about this mitochondrial DNA is it rarely mutates or changes. So this is why we can evaluate evolution uh, changes over time. So mitochondrial DNA, you get about one change every 10, or every, excuse me, one change every 100,000 years. Wow. So one mutation. Wow. Chromosomal DNA, you get about 64 mutations per generation. Right. So, so that every 25 years... A lot more rapid. Yeah. So it's really hard to trace. This mitochondrial DNA changes so slowly that we can go back and look and trace lineages. So like the human D, uh, mitochondrial DNA map, have they traced it back to East Africa. That's where we all originated sure, from. Sure. Homo sapien, right. Yeah. So they've looked at that. So anyways, mitochondrial DNA... You know, and you can read more about it online. I don't want to scare people off, but, you know, we use that as a tool in science to to look at this. And so the reason I bring that up is we look, we've used mitochondrial DNA for elephants. You know what a mammoth is, right? I've seen a mammoth at our local museum. (laughs) There you go. My son loves them. They're they're pretty impressive, to say the least. And you know me. Like, I love talking about mammoths. And, you know, there's people out there wanting to clone the mammoth. And we'll save this discussion for another day because it's... This is Chris's favorite thing in the whole world to talk about. I would love to clone a mammoth. (laughs) It's good to have goals, right? But it's an incredible waste of money. We need that money to to preserve African and Asian elephants. What we already have, yeah. It would still be cool, but it's a waste of money. (laughs) All right. So we'll save that for the other day. But we've used mitochondrial DNA to look at mammoths, mastodons, mm-hmm. and how they relate to African and Asian elephants. Right? And just quickly remind me, what's the difference again between mastodons and okay. mammoths? Yeah, so it's really cool. Mastodons, which is like its, its own almost elephant species, uh-huh. they diverged 26 million years ago okay. from the, the elephant tree, I guess you could say. And they became their own species, mm-hmm. and they populated North and Central America. Okay. The mass or mammoths were more Asia, Europe, Africa. So a little smaller. Yeah. Okay. So they they, but they didn't diverge out until about seven million years ago, and there was a split in in the tree mm-hmm. in the elephants. And then you had African elephants splitting off about six million years ago. Then you had the 
mammoths and then finally Asian elephants split off about 5 million years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the mastodons like completely their own species 26 million years ago. Uh-huh. So they okay. So they so you had the mastodons and the mammoths. And it you know people always thought they were kind of the same thing but they weren't. And the mastodon probably looks more like a modern elephant. Okay, that's where, what I would think. Right. Yeah. And then the mammoth is more of what we know as mammoths, the woolly mammoth, you know, the big mm-hmm. tusks and everything. All right. So what we do know about mastodons is they were more forest dwellers. Okay. Which, you know, you and I that deal a lot with animal nutrition, we know they eat more trees, you know, limbs, bark. Like browsers right, almost. Yeah. Browsers. And so their teeth, they have like, if you look at their teeth, it's really crazy. It's almost like uh, they're built to, to munch those branches, right? And, and chew them up and chew the pulp. Okay, like grinding type right. mechanisms, yeah. And then if you look at mammoth teeth and then our modern elephants, Asian and African elephants, they're more grind or for uh, uh, grazers. More flat-based. Right, flat-based. Mm-hmm. So, so really uh, you had that. Now, the mastodon went extinct about 10,000 years ago, okay. end of the Ice Age. The mammoth went extinct only 4,500 years ago. Oh, interesting. Which is crazy. Yeah. Like when they built the pyramids. Maybe we can clone them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so it was pretty crazy with, with uh, the mammoths. Those are our relatives, ancient relatives mm-hmm. of today's elephants. Now, within today, we have two species of, of elephants. You have the African and the Asian, mm-hmm. right? which most people are pretty familiar with. So the African is a Loxodonta africana. It's a big word. Yeah. You know me. They're, my, my they're big animals. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but I love the Asian elephant scientific name, Elephant Maximus. Yeah. Which is really cool. So the difference between, you know, the African, they're larger. Uh, they're larger than the Asian. They have larger ears. And within the African elephant, they think there's two species. Yeah. I've heard a little bit about the, the is it the forest dwelling uh, African elephants uh, right. over in the Congo, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So the, you have the forest they're dwellers. smaller. They're a little bit smaller, and they're the ones that are, like, getting poached left and right pretty yeah, bad, too. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah pretty bad. It's a, it's a bad uh, place on, on Earth. But they think those are two separate species. There's still some debate. Okay. So they're not quite sure. And then they have the uh, the Asian elephants. So there's really three main subspecies. You have the the Indian, the Sumatran, and the Sri Lankan. Okay. Yeah, So which is weird. So they have three... Uh, three yeah, I guess sp- I, I'm not as familiar with the subspecies of the Indian, of the Asians. Yeah, and if you think of it, it's weird, because if you think about it, you know, you have all these these Asian elephants on Sumatra, right? Yeah. And, you know, how did they get there? How long ago did that break off? Or the land bridge, right. you know? So, so that's always interesting to think about. And then Indonesia, you know, all the islands of Indonesia, when did that, you know, that land mass emerge and those elephants got kind of isolated, isolated well, populations? And with, like, the Sumatrans, are they smaller than the other Asians? Like, I know in the, in the rhino... Uh, world of uh, Sumatran rhinos are smaller than what we t- uh, right. typically think of some of the other the other Indian rhinos. Yeah, I, th- I, I believe so because I think the Indians are the, are the Indian elephants are the the big Asian the big ones. ones. That we gotcha. See. Yeah. And then you have the these smaller populations or, or smaller elephants. You know, a couple things that are that are really interesting about the African and Asian is you know the African. If you look at their historical range in the early 18th century, there was estimated about 27 million. African elephants. A lot. Yes. Yes, a lot. And if you look at the map, and I'll, put, I'll I'll link the map in the show notes when we post them, but their historical range was like pretty much all of Africa. Right. You know, you take out some of the desert regions, even though there's some desert elephants. Yeah, there's a lot of different climates, a lot of different topography. Right. It's a very big continent. Right, right. But they covered most of it. That's right? incredible. Yeah. So then if you look at today and look at their where they are, 
The population is estimated about less than 500,000, mm-hmm. and there's small pockets in Africa. And most of them are in, like, reserves and stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, from, from my experience over there, that's where it seems. There's a lot in the national parks, is uh, under a lot of protection, is right. where you're going to find the larger herds of, you know, 100 plus or whatatnot. But, yeah, it's very, very fragmented, yeah. their and populations. You, and you were there, right? I mean, you've seen them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. I've had the pleasure of uh, going to Afri- Africa on two separate uh, occasions. And on each trip, I was able to view elephants in the wild. Right. And it was uh, extremely impressive impressionable to say the least and one thing to see elephants which i'll touch on a little bit more when i'm uh, focusing on some of my on some of my notes but it's one thing to see elephants in a in a captive se- setting or in a circus uh, which is really cool because you can get up close to them and really uh, watch their behaviors more intimately but seeing an elephant in the wild where it's supposed to live is is very impressionable and very exciting and oh my gosh if you even have an ounce of interest in wildlife Africa is where you should go. It should be on your bucket list for sure. Yeah. At least why we still have it. <laughs> I know, no kidding. Um, yeah, but very, very impressionable. I actually saw um, a male in his, during his breeding season in full, full must. And it was impressive. And he actually, my guide was a little... <laughs> A little Scared. rambunctious, <laughs> was a little rambunctious and got a little too close to him, which was made great for some photos that I have hanging on my wall this day. But um, he did get a little aggressive with us and we had to zip right out of there, um, rightfully so, because we shouldn't, I mean, we shouldn't have been that close. But very impressive, you know, very impressive animals. And I now I uh, have not been over to Asia. So that's also on my personal bucket list um, because there's a lot of great elephant viewing there too. Right. And, and right. sometimes in a different setting, they, and I'll touch base on it too a little bit more, but a lot of times the Asian elephants can actually be used in, in the tourism industry. Right. Like if you want right. to go find tigers and stuff, but yeah, yes, yes. I, uh, I know we have a few take home messages yeah. today, but one of mine will be, if you have not seen these creatures in the, in the wild and you know, it, it, it should be on your bucket list. Obviously start first with uh, zoos and conservation centers, but right. Right. The wild is uh, is is unfortunately, as we'll touch base on, is is not so wild anymore. So right. and, yeah, I know, and that's what you know, kind of uh, talking about conservation and, and looking at that map, right? That that, pop, that map of where they're located in the pockets. But in the the first episode, I talked about you know, hundred elephants a day are, are poached, African elephants, right? Because very few Asian elephants, they, they're a smaller population, but African elephants, you're you're seeing a hundred of them poached. A day, yeah, so you're so talking sad. thirty thousand a year. When we only have five hundred thousand left on Earth, it's not sustainable. No, folks. in ten years they're gone. Yeah, right, they're gone, and people are are, are scared, and I'm scared, and like I, that's why you know I want to talk about elephants because they're on their way out. Right, and here I am promoting everybody needs to go to Africa and see these animals in the wild. But in the same instance, at this rate, my son will not be able to no, see them, no. let alone my grandchildren. No. No. So, so it's, yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's why I'm here today. Yeah. It's really, yeah, it's really disheartening. Um, but you know, that's where we're going to fight and mm-hmm. see what we can do. The Asian elephants, really their range is, you know, habitat loss has gone way down. It's much smaller population. They figured in, in 1900, there was about a hundred thousand okay. Asian elephants mm-hmm. today. There's about 50,000, maybe as low as 40, right. not many of them in the wild because we have tamed a lot of Asian elephants. Sure. They've been domesticated for, Lack yeah, of better words. yeah, last few thousand years. So I think Asian elephants are a little better off as far as 
surviving. But their numbers are a lot lower. Right. A lot lower, a lot lower, a lot smaller population. And, and that's natural. Like they had a smaller population anyways. Okay. But being that they are used for human use, you know, in agriculture or I guess forestry, they use them quite a bit. The so tourism. Pe- people might be looking out for them a little bit right. more. I think they, you know, they start, I know there's still, you know, Asian elephant conflicts with humans. Oh yes. And they are killed and poached for ivory. Of course. But a lot less than mm-hmm. say the African. So Angie, tell me about elephants and humans. Okay. Well, it's a long history, so I won't bore you with too many details, but Going back to even the Bronze Age, Asian elephants, as you touched on before, right. are slightly more used in the uh, as a working animal, right. and that's historically documented through the Bronze Age. Uh, they're typically used a lot, even in its current day, for logging and pulling right. heavy things. Obviously, they're very strong and they're very big. Um, but the other thing too is in the current day, they're used a lot in tours in Thailand, from just touring people around national parks to even going to view, uh, look for tigers on, on an elephant's back. They're definitely, like you said, they have this, this great history with mankind of working with them. And once again, like you said, mankind of looking out for them the same way we do for our other domesticated animals, such as cows and, and horses and whatnot. Um, a, a longstanding history of working alongside them and then, and of course, mankind benefiting off of it. Right, right, right. And then interestingly enough, too, um, not from a tourist perspective, but a fun little fact is there is a coffee company in Thailand called Black Ivory Coffee mm. that actually uses elephants, Asian elephants, to consume the coffee bean cherry. Oh, wow. Wait for <laughs> it. Wait for it. And they digest them. And then the waste is collected. And it's supposed to make the coffee taste more robust once oh, it's been clean and processed. Okay. So... <laughs> Elephant poop coffee. All right. Pretty much. Pretty much. We'll put and, that on the website. Yeah. Um, so they're. I mean, that's the thing is they. They've been. They've been along uh, working along mankind. Uh, mankind for a long time doing different various things. Um, and then, <laughs> isn't that interesting? I want to try never it heard myself. Elephant um, poop coffee. But, well, that sounds like a pretty good gig, though. Just Mm -hmm. hang around and, and just for the record, too, this, uh, uh, the caffeine is not absorbed. So uh, these elephants are checked by veterinarians and it doesn't seem to do, have any, any negative impact on them. So, hey, it's probably better than being in the wild and being poached, right? That's true. That's true. Um, that reminds me of, sorry. And, and I'm going to say, I was going to say this later, but when you're, since we're talking about elephant poop and digestion, Mm -hmm. but I think it's worth bringing it up right now. You know, there was a, a study just came out a few months ago about how elephants, especially in Africa, are, are so critical in spreading seeds. Right. Seed dispersion is right. huge. And they they actually spread seeds farther than birds. Because, yeah. like, birds will will eat the seed and fly and poop. Mm-hmm. And then, that, hey, some natural fertilizer, right? And then that seed falls to the ground and, boom, they spread seeds. But elephants actually, I think it was like 60 miles away or something? Yeah, they're definitely what's considered in the industry a, a keystone species right. as, far as, as far as helping the environment and being, you know, a top in the environment of what they do and how they help things. Again, in in the last episode, I talked a lot about, you know, the synergistic effect of all the animals and species. So again, this is something we don't think about. Right. Without them there, who's the domino effect on the dung beetles, for instance, that live off of their dung as their job. Yeah. Our survival depends on elephant poop. Correct. (laughs) And our coffee. (laughs) That's awesome. But once again, working along man's side, um, these animals 
are still with mankind, but perhaps in a different way, either being viewed mm-hmm. in a wildlife park, which can help promote saving the people that live around the national parks, giving them jobs, um, giving them an economy. Mm-hmm. So those are wild elephants, just being right, wild right. elephants, helping mankind. And then secondly, looking in a, a captive setting, perhaps in zoos and circuses. Um, right. Circuses, they've probably been in you know, historically for a very long time. Right. The, the menageries, as we all think about and probably had a negative connotation about uh, historically. They were around circuses a lot, which were able to expose children that had never seen or even thought or heard of a creature long before there was encyclopedias and the internet right. and all the mm-hmm. sources we have now. People had exposures to these brilliant creatures and perhaps then got excited about nature and wildlife. Right. And right. that and that harkens back to to zoos. Uh, zoos. There are zoos in North America that house uh, both Asian and African mm-hmm. elephants. Uh, not every zoo because they're large animals right. and they cost a lot to keep. And um, most zoos do a very nice job and are well credited and have a highly trained staff to keep them. They're there though for educational purposes uh, to promote conservation. And they once again have another another role with humans as far as hopefully saving their own species, right. and then teaching little ones that perhaps would never have the chance to get to go to Africa the way that right. I was blessed enough to be able to do that. And so, and I think yeah, like um, you know, the research we're doing, or I'm wrapping up before I moved to New Zealand. You know, looking at using captive elephants and looking at this population that we have in captivity. This is what is really scaring me for for elephants, especially African elephants. Like I said, I think Asians will, might, should be okay, you know, in the next century or so. But Africans are probably going to disappear. It's because we don't have a sustainable population in captivity that we can turn around and maintain and then hopefully re-release in the wild if they go extinct in the wild. Right. And, and the, the one study I saw estimates or their estimate is in 50 years in North America, there will be no elephants in captivity, which right. if there's no elephants in captivity and there's no elephants in the wild, there's no, ge- there's no genetic bank. Yeah. There's no, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult issue. And when you look at like, again, I'll post that map on the, the show notes, there's nowhere for them to live. Right. And, and then where they are living, you know, these poachers are, are, you know, cutting into the, the fence line, getting in there, poaching the elephant, cutting off the tusks, getting out before anybody knows what happens. Right. Well, and that was kind of going to lead me to my next point as far as the human-elephant conflict. So right. as much as we have a this very interesting culture of working alongside elephants, mostly for our betterment, perhaps now today in zoos and conservation centers, we're working for their betterment. But the conflict of human and elephants, especially in the near in in the recent times, has dramatically increased. Right. Why there is this human elephant conflict conflict both in Africa and in um, Asia, in Asian yeah. countries is mostly because there's just so many people. Right. There's so many people, and there is a lot of habitat loss. Which elephants, being large animals, large herbivores, need to eat a lot. They require a lot of space. And I can't speak so much. Once again, I have not been to Asia. It's on my bucket list. You all hear about it once I go. But just being in Africa and talking with a lot of local African people, it becomes quite evident that it's easy for me to sit here in my chair and talk on my high horse about how it's just the, you know, it's an easy fix. Give the elephants more room. 
Well, it's, it's not an easy fix, and it's complex, and I highly suggest anybody that has interest in that to do a little bit more research, because it's going to take a lot of us working together, right. both here in the States, and but then also overseas, and a lot of these groups are trying to do it, and the elephant... The elephant conflict stems from the fact that historically, a lot of African tribes were nomadic. And so they themselves, because in Africa, it has some pretty harsh climate in different regions where there's a big difference between the wet season and the dry season. And so crops are only going to grow in the wet season or in certain fertile soils. So the, the nomads would move around, quote unquote, migrate mm-hmm. from point to point in Africa to raise their crops, right. hunt their game and whatnot. Well... You know, then then uh, different cultures came in and basically conquered a lot of the nomads and drew borders and said, this side of the river is, uh, is Zambia and this right, side right. of the river is Zimbabwe. Right. And you can't cross people. Sorry, right. you have to live here. Your crops, any of your crops don't grow. Well, too bad. Right. And along with that, it's the same thing with the elephants. The elephants can't cross borders, can't do a lot, a lot of... Until they've lifted some of the regulations, right. they can't migrate. They can't move to the food where they need they're to They're natural their behavior, na- right? Their natural behavior, yeah, their natural cycles that, no. and patterns. And so it's just, it's, what are they going to do? And here's, here's an, you know, a local African person that's growing, you know, one or two hectares right, of, right. of yummy crops. Well, that's what the elephant's going to yeah, go I after. Know, and so you know, there's this huge elephant-human conflict for poachers, right. which we're going to touch base a little right. bit more. And that one's just ugly and sad and seems like a pretty easy fix. Un- right. Unfortunately, it's not because of the complexity of the ivory trade. You know, it's, it's we've got to find resolutions or these animals are going to be gone. Right. I mean, and I think the hopeful yeah. news is that there is this conflict, of course, in, within the within where the elephants live locally. And then, of course, there's this huge international poaching crisis. Okay. But there's also this history, looking back from the Bronze Age, I mean, yeah. B.C., that we have a long history with these animals. Right. And I think a, there's a lot of people out there in both and all, and all continents right. that want to fight for them. Right, there is. We're just uh, is. we're just unsure how. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll talk some things too, and then that kind of gets at the heart of the issue of of all these species. You know, mm-hmm. when we opened up last week talking about, you know, we're in this mass extinction event, a lot of habitat loss, a lot of exploitation, Land fragmentation, right? Just a lot of problems, and I think there's a lot of people out there that want to do and fight for the environment. Absolutely. And maybe this is just one other avenue that right. we can come together and and do stuff. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about elephants. Let's get some more specifics. Uh, I know I want to talk about the kind of their life cycle and the differences between an African and an Asian elephant. Yeah, they're really interesting yeah. animals. So African elephants in the wild can live up to be about seventy years old, which is which is pretty cool. That's incredible. Yeah, they live really long. You know, many generations. You know, grandmothers and grandfathers. I know that, but mainly the herd dynamics are are female matriarchal societies. Mm-hmm. So you do have grandmothers with granddaughters and great granddaughters all as one herd. It's the best way to learn, right? Now and then the uh, the males are kind of loners, or they get in little bachelor groups. The Asian elephant, interesting, doesn't live quite as long in the wild. Okay. Only 60 uh, years in the wild. And and my photo, I guess, uh, in the About Us section on the, the website is me with probably one of the oldest Asian elephants in the world. Mm-hmm. I think she's about 77. Wow. They weren't sure. She, she's been around since the 40s, so long <laughs> so time. Before they could keep track, right? Yeah, yeah. She's had a good life in captivity. They, they've taken care of her. Um, 
So females stand about, they can stand up, African elephant females can stand almost nine feet tall at the shoulder, which is two and a half meters, close to 2.4 meters. Whereas female Asian elephants a little bit shorter, about eight feet. The males can stand up to 13 feet. Yeah, you know, the that African is... African males. That's incredible. I My kind of elephant viewing experience went from seeing Asians in circuses up close and then to Africa seeing them in the wild, both male and female. And then I had a chance to see an African male, full-grown, uh, in a captive setting. He was in a breeding program. Right. They were uh, working on trying to get these species to breed in captivity because it's not necessarily easy with these large animals. And they were training him uh, for use for that purpose. Of course, it was a protected contact setting, so I was 10 feet from this impressive, yeah. impressive... I, my breath was taken away. Yeah, they're huge. Was literally taken yeah. away. Not besides how handsome he was, yeah. but how how massive. Yeah, they're huge. How? <laughs> they're huge. 13 and feet, that's I, two of me. <laughs> yeah, they're just, yeah. they're very, very impressive creatures. But right. anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, I just, no, no. That's like the whole purpose. They, it is. They are insane. Like they're I just so st- beautiful. Yeah. I can still go back that moment in time in my head and I... I it was just such a game changer because I'd been learning about elephants. Right. I had seen a few elephants, right. um, both in a captive and a wild setting. But to see this male right. close up, because of course in Africa I wasn't that close. And right, also right. I was a little scared too yeah, since he was charging us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, well, so now Asians then. No, so Asians, they the, the males can get up to about nine feet, so not quite as tall. Right, okay. So you're still you're talking like... Up to nine feet tall at the shoulder, whereas the uh, African bull is almost 13 feet. Or four meters, I guess, the African males, and then 2.75 meters for the Yeah, you got to use this metric if I you're know. moving New Zealand. I know, I know. <laughs> Kilometers, all that fun stuff. Uh, weight. So here's another thing. Ugh. The females weigh between five to 7,000 pounds or 5,000 kilograms. That's the African. The uh, the Asian, not much difference in weight, about 6,000 pounds. Wow. So uh, five five thousand kilo- or kilograms. Yeah, and I I love myself some um, some megafauna. It's kind yeah. of a lingo we use yeah. for for big animals like horses and zebras and camels. And uh, both Chris and I obviously work very you know, near and dear and closely to horses. And right. they are on average are what a thousand pounds? Yeah, eleven hundred pounds for yeah. the average yeah. type horse, which is still very big. Right, right. So t- times that by what six? Ten, yeah, ten, or ten six? for the males. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's huge. They're huge. Uh, as far as adulthood, they, they all, both species reach about uh, adulthood around 12. Okay. So they've, you know, they have kind of a long adolescence and childhood. Whereas a lot of, you know, we know with like uh, zebras and stuff, they're within two years, they're full adults. Correct. Yeah. You know, whereas elephants. So are elephants adults. are almost like humans right. or primates. 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 Yeah. 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 When are chimpanzees? We'll, we'll, we'll definitely do one on chimpanzees, but I think they're adolescents. I don't know how many years. I think it's, it's pretty in, long. Yeah, it's, it's not, in the teens, I think, yeah, early teens. Yeah, so they pretty similar to kind of us. All right, so the, the real gist of the issue with these animals is their tusks, right? So we know that uh, pretty much all African bull elephants have tusks. Most African females have tusks. The most Asian males have tusks, but the, most of the females don't, or half the females don't, or they have really small buds of tusks, so not naturally for them. So really what's interesting about the tusks is those are just teeth. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they're... Like an extension. Right, they're incisors. They're two okay. front incisors that have grown out. Wow. And the tusks are really critical because they use them to, to dig, mm-hmm. to root out trees, 
to uh, defend themselves mm-hmm. against predators or or anybody else. So they're they're really an important part of their biology. What uh, what does that? So we do know, yeah, like the tusks are just like teeth, but they're not like human teeth. They don't have enamel on them, but they are like the elephant teeth, teeth, the structure. So they have like a pulp and things like that. So that's why these poachers have to kill them because you can't just like, you know, knock them down and put them to sleep and cut the tusks off because it that will kill them anyways. It's like, you know, yanking out okay. two big teeth. Yeah, because yeah. one of the solutions, I don't think it's worked very well, but with the rhino horn crisis right. is to just trim the horns. Right. But right. you can't do that with elephants. No, okay. no, because it, it kills them. It kills them. So that's why they, they poach them, too. So, yeah, it's really, really sad. But And then the other thing that was interesting reading about tusks or knowing about tusks, scientists in the last few decades have noticed that the African elephants that are remaining, their tusks have gotten either shorter or they don't have any tusks at all because all of the ones that have had tusks have been killed, and so they can't breed and, and push on their genetics. Wow, it's like evolution saying, "Evolution saying, hey, let's save ourselves and get rid of these darn things." Yeah, no, no tusks for us anymore. Ugh, so sad. Yeah, so you know, and then the trunk obviously is is critical for the elephants. That's what's one of the iconic things with yeah. them. They use it. Oh, I've been tickled by an elephant trunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's and amazing. It's powerful. Sixty thousand muscles, like uh. crazy. And very, very fine motor control. They can actually pick up a blade of grass. Incredible. They have so much. Yeah. So the, very... their trunks are are awesome. Are awesome. Let's talk about behavior. Ah, Our well, favorite, right? It is one of my favorites for sure. I, I can just watch an elephant standing there and eating is my happy zen spot. Pretty much any, any hoofstock animal just standing around eating, which is what they do. But to touch on what you had mentioned, a lot of what sets elephants apart are some of their unique behavioral traits is a lot based in their social structure, that it's very complex for a herd-type animal. They have what is known as a fission-fusion society. So there's obviously many generations in one herd, but there's also can be multiple family groups that come together during some times to socialize and then other times not. And they split off a lot of it depending on resources Mm -hmm. and breeding season and whatnot. So it's, it's always changing right. for the most part besides the core element of like you said the grandmother the mother and the daughters right and hers uniquely can be anywhere from eight individuals to a hundred and mostly female based and and young males right. and this does help them out a lot too because typically elephants don't have many predator predators large elephants but the young can be very vulnerable, of course, to lions and tigers and whatnot, and they prey on the young. And mm-hmm. so a really interesting behavior that's seen is if they're being predated on, that the all the females, the adults, will stand in a circle around the young or the juvenile mm-hmm. to protect them. And, and yeah, then that, that predator is not going to have a chance. Right. And so very interesting. And then the males, as you touched on, they're going to be in this herd for anywhere from like up to 12 to 15 years and then they'll break off either by themselves or form bachelor groups and really cool fun job to study elephant behavior over in asia or africa has shown that these bachelor groups can actually engage in like friendships right and that there's not a ton of aggression as which was previously thought so really interesting stuff that could potentially in the right setting be mimicked in a um, mimicked in captivity where typically now bulls because of their notorious aggressive behavior all usually live by themselves except for during breeding season. Right, right. But if we could somehow figure out how to mimic that, then maybe the bulls could live together. Just 
always a chance to learn how to manage them better in captivity through viewing their behaviors in the wild. Yeah, I think, I, you know, you were talking about dealing with a bull and must in Africa. I mean, one of the ones that we dealt with in captivity, he was in must. And when he charged the fence, I like about died. I was only about five feet away because he was really aggressive, right? Right. right. And, and and we'll touch a little bit more yeah. on um, on some of their sexual behavior. Right. But yes, no, that's one of their, they're known for when they are in must to just be like, I think their testosterone increases 60% or yeah, something. So, yeah. but the other uh, really iconic thing about an elephant is we've all heard it before. Uh, elephants never forget. There's actually studies out there that show there's some truth to that. Besides having a good memory, especially for um, a non-human, non-primate mammal, they're also extremely intelligent. Right. Very. To the point of where they've been classified to be, have, have similar intelligence to, and on certain levels of primates. Right. They can have a lot, and besides just overall how we consider intelligence as smarts, they also, they also are very emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. There's been documentation both in captivity and the wild of elephants experiencing joy, anger, of course play, but then also grief. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, that separates them from a lot of other mammals right. as far as the, uh, the complexity of not only their social structure, but then also their individual intelligence. And then the other thing that sets them apart from most mammals is they've been observed in the wild uh, creating tools. Oh, yeah. 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 So we always think, you know, at first it was groundbreaking when I think Jane Goodall Goodall. uh, documented that was gorillas used uh, chimpanzees chimpanzees used sticks to fish out termites. The fact that this has been observed in elephants actually modifying twigs and branches to use them as fly swatters. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I, that's what, that is neat. I never knew that one. Yeah. I thought I, I mean, knew a lot about elephants. That's that the thing I is, I mean, the, I mean, my, one of my dreams jobs is to just sit out there and learn about these yeah. guys. Right. Um, and so I think they, they've been blowing us out the water what they've been able to right. do just from right. what we've observed with them right. these species are and not that that should make a difference on whether we save them or right. we don't save them but it does set them apart yeah, just what and a tragedy what yeah. a tragedy yeah. to lose such a unique animal that's evolved been able to hang out for this long become this intelligent and have this unique this amazing social live for 70 right. years you know to be wiped and out it's interesting you talk about the how smart they are i know in South Africa, they have to cull quite a bit of elephants as far as to, to maintain stable populations. So what they actually do is they have to take out a whole family group because they have such great memories and they are so intelligent because the trauma of seeing, you know, a mother killed in front of a baby or something like that, it just makes me want to cry. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to cry right now just thinking <laughs> about it, that they have to kill them all yeah, because they can't, they don't adjust, socially adjust well. They, they have a lot of behavior problems. And at the end, I'm going to talk about my favorite book ever and this person. Uh, I'm saving it for the end and stories about him. But they are just, yeah, they're so perceptive and it's just, it's just tragic. It's just tragic. Ugh. Well, and, and then just a really kind of interesting yeah. science note that is recently just been published and uh, learned about is the fact that these elephants can communicate um, over long distance right. using subsonic rumbles right that they they travel over the ground faster than sound through air it's yeah it's incredible. low frequency yeah. we can't even hear it yeah, yeah. humans can't hear so it. and then the other elephants that are you know 
gosh knows how far away, yeah. pick up on it, and then it can communicate different things through their feet and right. their trunks, which are very sensitive, and they can learn about potential mates or right. what their social group may be yeah. communicating. And so just the fact that we've only learned that in the past 10 years isn't, I mean, what else more, what other, what are secret tre- treasures and hidden things that we can learn from these animals? Yeah. Not only for fun facts, but perhaps for technology we could use. Right. I mean, that's the thing. So hopefully uh, we're going to keep hearing more really yeah, good, and I think, cool you know, things about these guys. And we don't necessarily need to talk about it today and, and maybe in the future talk about it, but it's like maintaining these large animals in captivity, you know, some of the behavior stuff sure. that, you know, I know you and I doing our research and, and behavior animal behavior research that yes, these animals need wide open spaces and, and need places to, to move and stuff like that. And zoos are addressing that, especially with these large animals. But again, it's like, it's one of those, it's a catch 22. If we don't keep them in captivity in captivity and they go extinct in the wild, they're gone. Right. If like I talked to the last episode, as far as the black footed ferret, if we didn't have these black footed ferrets in captivity, they would be extinct forever, gone Correct. forever. Yeah. Extinction is forever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a very uh, it's a very complex issue. And we'll we'll save that for another time. But you know, quickly some, some more facts that we want to talk about elephants because again, it's not just about talking about their conservation status, but what are some of the the interesting things like that? I didn't know this, Angie. I always thought elephants. I guess just because I've never had to deal with formulating diets for elephants, mm-hmm. I just knew they ate a lot. <laughs> but yeah, you know, a lot, right? But you know, like how much do they eat? Just to interrupt yeah, really quick. Uh, this, you, they eat you a day. <laughs> they eat one of you a day. They eat about 150 pounds of, oh, of, wow. of food a day. Um, that's it, a lot and I'll say you're probably that. That's more than you. Okay, so well, more, I mean, I did just have a baby, yeah, so okay. <laughs> you're kind of on the money. <laughs> yeah. so less than more, greater than one of Angie's, but not quite me. You know. Uh, but yeah, they, they're like a horse. They have this hindgut fermenter, meaning you know, they eat these plants, they eat leaves, they eat grass, and th- they ingest that high fiber. And you know this. I mean, being a nutritionist and the stuff you're doing with the rhinos and the horses, you know, the the stomach, the bacteria in the stomach, you know, in, in a cow, mm-hmm. say a ruminant, what we call a ruminant, you know, helps break that down. They get nutrients out of that. Sure. Well, in horses, we both know but listeners might not, that happens in the hindgut. After the stomach, after the small intestine, that fiber, that plant material, that So like the large intestines for right. lack of right. terms. Yeah. Is that what breaks down the fiber? Well, I always thought elephants were like a firm, you know, rumen. They have this big stomach. They actually don't. They actually have a small stomach. It happens just like in horses, which is weird because they're not related to horses. No, no. Very, very, very uh, far down the tree. Their stomach's very small, holds about 13 gallons or 50 liters, so not very big compared to body size. Which also encourages why they need to eat throughout the day. Right, right. That's what they they need to eat quite and a bit. And they cover a lot, in the wild, they cover a lot of land in order right. to keep continual feed in their small stomachs. Right. They're not able right. to eat large meals. Right, like a, say a predator, like a big lion just mm-hmm. eats, or eats half a zebra. Once a day, then, every yeah, other day, yeah. sleeps all day. Their, their small intestines about seven stories tall or 70 feet. Incredible. 20 meters. And then they're digested pretty quickly. Like it happens either, it depends on what they eat, like, you know, either 10 to 11 hours up to 46 hours do that. So we know that they eat mostly plants, they're herbivores, mm-hmm. they eat uh, trees, grass. And like you said wait, earlier. Wait, do they eat peanuts? Yeah, I love peanuts. Yeah, <laughs> stereotypes. I know, it's totally stereotype. 
They, uh, you know, but love leaves, roots, branches, grass. Bark. Bark. They yeah. do eat bark. I definitely saw well, a lot of that natural behavior in Africa yeah. of them um, rubbing on bark and then also stripping it off. Yep. They love it. Tastes, tastes good. Uh, obviously, coffee beans now. <laughs> I'm getting that coffee. That's very they so again they eat about one of you a day uh, for about a ten thousand pound elephant about one to one and a half percent of their body weight. Okay. And to put that into perspective, we only eat about five pounds of food a day. You know, humans on average eat about that or two point two kilograms. Unless you're pregnant, and then you're allowed to eat yeah, a lot yeah, more. Please do, please do. And then, like we already said earlier, I was going to bring up about the seeds, but why they're important. And I know. We're finding in other species, too, the microbes from the poop is important for the soil. Of course. You know, that helps. It's all connected, man. I know. So it helps the grasses, helps the trees. Well, moving on to my other favorite topic. <laughs> that of course, uh, Reproduction that will, of yeah. course, have some, uh, some behavior highlights in there because I just can't get enough of the yeah. good stuff. Just briefly, the males, uh, we, we touched on the fact that they reached their sexual maturity around 15 years old. They're... Sexual drive isn't that intense um, until they're a little bit older, maybe usually around the age of 25. Right, right. And so once again, too, I think it's something to consider, which we talked about in life cycle, is it takes a long time for these animals to reproduce. And I'll, and, and I'll come full circle and I'll bring that up when I talk more about gestation. But a male to become sexually mature at 15 or 25 years, um, and I think it's 13 to 14 years or nine years with the females, is a long time. Yeah, yeah. But once again, you may, we've maybe already touched on it, but for the listeners that aren't as familiar, there's a term um, for when a male is uh, sexually active and sexually worked up. Uh, it's called must. This is known in both African and Asian elephants, and it's a, a time of not only increased ingression and looking for a female to breed, but also increased t- testosterone. Right. In fact, uh, some studies have shown up to 60 uh, 60% increase. That's crazy. Which is a lot. Yeah. And so the must is characterized by, of course, different breeding behaviors, which we've seen in, in other um, in other megafauna, such as urinating on his self and his legs to um, perhaps release pheromones to the females. Um, he'll also do some some kind of uh, dominant display behaviors like, oh, I'm the most handsome, <laughs> tough guy yeah. in the world. He'll walk with his head held high, yeah, right. swinging his trunk, which, I mean, I would too, right? Yeah. Um, they'll pick up the ground. They'll use their tusks, show how strong their tusks are by um, by marking. And then they'll also make that rumble uh, wave sounds. And then they can even flag one ear at a time. And those are all quote-unquote behaviors. But a very iconic part of must is if you have ever seen a picture of it or been around one is they have these glandular secretions kind of next to right. both sides on this temporal part yeah, of, temporal glands, yeah. uh-huh, of their side and it's their temporal glands releasing this liquid that almost looks drip down their drips down their face and they almost look like tears but they're kind of to the side not by their eyes and the secretions is this temporan um, substance but it also contains a lot of carbohydrates and proteins and perhaps um, scientists think maybe pheromones. They're not sure. They also think it might be a reason for some of their increased aggression. I guess when these temporal uh, glands get swollen, that they could perhaps could be actually painful. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah very interesting yeah. Uh, physiology. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so figuring the world out one one thing yeah. or the ourselves out one little piece of information at a time. But that perhaps, yeah, these temporal glands are causing this pain underneath the eye, almost like a headache type, that could um, cause them to be somewhat 
more aggressive, which of course would help with fighting off other bulls. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, perhaps score a lady, right? Yeah, yeah. So just really neat, really unique um, uh, reproductive biology. Uh. And then, of course, upon copulation, I think a fun fact, I'm, I love fun facts <laughs> as a scientist, uh, upon ejaculation, the sperm in a, in a female has to travel two meters. Oh, wow. Two meters. Yeah, and they're tiny, right? They're microscopic. We, we sure. Have to look at, we have to see I them. mean, yeah. yeah, there's you know hundreds of millions of sperm, but yeah. the, the one that reaches the egg eventually has to travel two meters. And just to put it all in perspective, because that always helps me, I'm a very yeah. visual person, a human sperm only has to cover three inches. Three inches. <laughs> so just, just super incredible adaptations that yeah. these animals have had um, to be able to do what they do. Right. And then, yeah, and moving on towards a female, once again, her maturity is around, sexual maturity is around nine years, but she doesn't really become fertile, probably because of group social structure, mm-hmm. uh, fertile and, and active as far as um, having calves until she's about 20, 25 years yeah. old. Yeah. And then the fer- fertile period is from about 25 to 45 years. The interesting thing with, well, there's lots of interesting yeah. things, but one of the things with, for most animals that are only pregnant for four, five, yeah. six, seven, months. eight, nine months, yeah. ten months, uh, which leads us to the gestation yeah. length of an elephant. You guys got your seatbelts yeah. on? Yeah. Is on average twenty-two months, almost two years. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, because you just had your <laughs> Zach just turned one. Crazy. So, yeah, so your baby just turned one, and could you imagine being pregnant for two years? No, I mean these. <laughs> Yeah. These females are putting a lot of, um, any woman who's ever been pregnant knows that you give up your body for a long time yeah. to gestate your baby for nine months. But then most of the time it's not over. Then you're giving up your body to lactate or, or nurse your child, you know, up to a year or some, yeah. sometimes even longer with some people. And so that's a good two years of your life. Well, pregnant elephants just getting started two years yeah. of giving up. Or, you know, protecting her, yeah. this growing fetus. And then, and then when we talk about lactation, female, or female elephants can lactate. Typically, young elephants will nurse heavily from, for one to two, two years, but it might even continue for up to six years. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So this is a long term yeah. investment, which we relate that obviously with yeah. humans. That's one of the reasons we've been able to evolve so well is because of our, are caring for our young right. and and there's a lot of similar similarities with that that we're just starting to learn about in the elephant world as far as this this investment and so I just can't it is a fun fact that they're pregnant for 22 right, months right. but I just can't imagine that that's a, well and I think you know this is a critical point to make too as far as conservation you know it does take them two years to to have a baby right mm-hmm. so their their generational gap is huge. You know, Huge. they're not, yeah. they, again, they're not breeding until they're in their 20s. Right. So it takes to repopulate the species. It takes a long, long term, you know, right. time and investment. I can't, I can't speculate on exactly the evolutionary biology of right. why, but their inner birth interval. So the right. time that they right. have one calf to the next calf, it's not even every two years. No, no. It's no. like four to six years, yeah. probably because they're so much they put so much energy and investment and in caring for their young right and so once again now we're talking about an animal that doesn't reach maturity until they're nine but not really good at breeding until they're 20 right. and then has a calf every five to six years for 20 years so they if, have four if they're or five doing calves. well yeah yeah if they're doing well. and then you know in captivity they don't breed as well and so yeah it's it's a um 
It's not just going to be something that's fixed overnight. Right. Or so some of these species, when they're protected in captivity or protected in the wild, they're able to rebound very quickly because their life cycle is so right. much faster. And once you get human predation, predation off of them right. um, or fix their environment, they bound, rebound very quickly. There's no way that that can happen with elephants. Right. So we need to do more preventatives. In or because playing catch up is going to be really hard in the end. In this piece, and like I, I talked about last episode, was the blackfoot ferret again. Mm-hmm. And the able, you know, we found what a population of 17, 18, one family group, and now there's a couple thousand, and they've re released some in the wild. But again, this is a ferret that breeds quickly, has many babies, you know, can breed probably every year easily, having tons of pups and things like that. Whereas an elephant, it's oh, not yeah. going to happen. No, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. So. Yeah. Back in the um, early 2000s, there was kind of a point where it looked like the African population was rebounding. So, good news. But the newest numbers suggest that that's not the case, that their um, populations are both trending downwards, declining for both the African and the Asian elephant. The African elephant... Populations have declined from three to five million mm-hmm. um, to right now, like you said, around five hundred thousand, and Asian elephants are any around forty thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, or the IUCN, right. Chris and I will be talking about that a lot. Yeah. They're kind yeah. of the gold standard for keeping track of uh, populations, and but unfortunately, it's a difficult task. So it's not like they're updated every year. Right, right. In fact, when I went to their the IUCN red list site for uh, endangered or vulnerable species, their la- latest update was 2008. Yes, yeah, so it's been a while. So yeah. it's been a while and things change a lot. And they still have wonderful information out there. Uh, and I highly recommend you, if you have a favorite species or a species you're interested in learning more about, to go there. But it's, it's hard to keep it all updated. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the elephant ivory crisis has, you know, kind of uh, thrown a linchpin in everything. Mm-hmm. With both uh, African and Asian species, uh, part of their decline, uh, as we had mentioned, is this loss of habitat and or habitat fragmentation. So they're being, I don't want to say put in a box, but they're being even fenced yeah. in and saying, yeah. this is where you live, you know, deal with it. And then, of course, if they're either fenced in and or around native uh, local um, Africans and or and or um, Asians, and there's a conflict going on there. Those are huge issues. Right. And then, of course, in Africa, with or sorry, with the African um, elephants, and and even to a little lesser extent, the Asian elephants is the poaching crisis. And you can't really, you know, unless you live in a cave, you've heard about this. It is it is definitely, I think, uh, use the word crisis, right. not not lightly. It's 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 true. So, you know, that is um, yeah. It's interesting because I. You know, you'd think most people would know that, but it was funny because, you know, our friend Danielle, she, when she was in South Africa a few months ago and they were out on that safari and she said, you know, the the driver was like, oh, you know, we don't tell anybody, you know, how many elephants we have, how many rhinos because of poaching. And two people, I think they were from Europe or they might have been from the United States. And they're like, oh, what's poaching? Hmm. And I was like, are you kidding me? Wow. Do you not know what poaching is? I because- guess we all, maybe we all live in our own oh, bubbles, right. right? I'm a, you know, so I'm an poaching, animal person, so I know about well, it. But we know poaching, but illegal killing of of a, an animal, you know, if like people poach deer in the United States sure. or poach alligators here in Florida, sure. they don't have salmon. A, yeah, a deer tag or license to go and, mm-hmm. and and collect an animal in the wild. 
So they do it illegally. Well, the poaching, you know, in Africa and around the world is going in and killing these animals illegally. I guess Cecil the lion kind of put some of that, you know, which maybe we'll talk about when we get to lions about how that he was poached because that was an illegal kill. So anyways, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it is, it's also hard too if people that either, whether we live in a bubble or not, or I think a certain way is, well, why would you want, why would you want ivory? You don't need ivory. You, there now there's plenty of substitutes for piano keys or trinkets. And, and so I think a lot of probably common sense type person, especially in the, you know, that's born and raised in the American culture is just like, well, that's silly. Not that many people would want ivory. Yeah. And I, I, that thinking is, of course, that's my logic. Unfortunately, in other cultures, that's not the logic. And even with all this technology of the internet and being able to have any, Pretty much any database right. or most databases at your at the at the at a keystroke, different cultures have diff- view different items in ways different than us. Yeah, I, I'm, that, I'm not saying it very eloquently. No, and I think like you know, talking to our friend who's a researcher, and uh, she, yeah, hopefully we can do an interview with her. But she was talking about uh, in China that people don't realize ivory comes from elephants. Sure. Right? There's, or that you have to kill the animal to get it. Yeah, there's not there's, there's not a lack knowledge. There's yeah. a lot a lack of education right. and their grandmother's like, oh here's this trinket or yeah. you know, with other um for instance rhino horn, which we'll talk about, oh, you know, this cures this ailment right. or whatever and there's not really oh, we've been using it for hundreds of years, so yeah. why would I stop now? And so I really I'm really hopeful and we can talk more about this at a different point in time that the younger generations will kind of start asking maybe right. more questions more and making questions, better yeah. choices or more more informed choices perhaps yeah. but but at this point it does not seem that that's the case there is still a huge demand um for ivory, yeah. for ivory even in the united states i mean it's 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 like new york and i've read some data that it's still being imported into our country and people are still buying ivory and an elephant died for that right you know you you killed a beautiful and i mean just uh anyways all right, so let's wrap it up. Let's let's talk about something awesome. And this is, again, another story that brings tears to my eyes. And this is one of my favorite people on Earth. Now, he, at some point, we're going to talk about Jane Goodall, because Angie and I were fortunate enough to meet her a year ago. Yes, our hero, one of our heroes. Definitely an exciting you know, night, for sure. Yeah, she was. she's an amazing woman. This is another one of my heroes, and uh, it was the, the, and, and I will never have a chance to meet this man and, and, until I die. And then hopefully I, I see him up above. And that's Lawrence Anthony. And there's a book out there that I, I highly recommend. And it's called The Elephant Whisperer. I've, I've listened to it on, on Audible a couple times. Like The Horse Whisperer? It is like The Horse Whisperer, but he's The Elephant <laughs> Whisperer. I love that book. This guy is amazing. And so a lot of what we've talked about, Elephants in Crisis, he's in South Africa. And he had this reserve with, with a few animals on it. No elephants. I think he had some rhinos in South Africa. And he... um. Got a phone call and said, hey, we have this elephant herd, like, talking about using tools. These elephants kept breaking out of their enclosure, mm-hmm. you know, their reserve that they were on. And these were trouble elephants. And they were like, we're going to kill them unless you can take them. So he took in this small herd. They, they actually ended up killing the matriarch before they moved the herd. So they actually took this herd. They bring him into his reserve. He agrees to bring in this small family group. The first day... The new matriarch, the daughter, starts testing the fence, 8,000 bolts, like she's messing with the fence. Finally, you know, he goes to bed. He gets a phone call at 3 in the morning or whatever it was. Hey, they broke out. 
she and the other female learned to push a tree down, to knock the fence down. Then they went and figured out that the generator was powering the outer fence, so they trampled the generator to escape, wow. and they were out. And he luckily luckily herded, herded them back in. I think he was using a helicopter to get them back in. And because people were out, because when an elephant escapes, they can kill him. Sure. Anybody I mean, can kill him. Yeah, that's yeah. not a safe place for an elephant. Right. So he uh, he brought him back, and they and he decided he was going to move in with the elephants. And so he camped right outside the, the fence line and started beginning to talk to him. And this is where he got the elephant whisperer uh, thing with that. And I'll link some of this in, in the show notes about him. But this story, like you listen to this story, and it's just, oh my gosh, this man. It was just amazing. So he died. He died in, in 2012, about five years ago, uh, as of this recording. And when he died, it was the next day, the two herds, then it, you know, he had one herd, he brought in another herd that he saved. They made about a 12-hour trek to his house on the reserve. And they didn't, how did these elephants know that he died? But they hadn't been to the house in a year and a half. You know, they normally would come and like, you know, and listen to a story. They would come by and spend an hour or two, drink out of his pool and then walk off and then leave. They came, they, t- they made a 12 hour trek, both herds to his house and they hung out at his house for two days the day after he died. And it's like, how did they know? I uh, just finally, you know, this is one of our, our first beginning episodes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you thank for staying you. with us because I hope you learned a few things. Yeah. I learned a little bit. we're trying to do. And you know, as we develop this, you know, I'm sure we're going to get better and we're going to, the audio quality is going to get better. We might get this. worse. We might get worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we see our numbers go down. Uh, but if you just visit the website, subscribe to the podcast, that that's all we, we would love for you to do. Leave a review and you can leave some comments. Please. You know, we're going to read them and just try to make this the best show we can and, and, and again, develop this community. So, so thank you so much. Thank you. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.